0: A very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. This is Narain, your host. Today, I'm super excited to have Dr. Christopher Phelps back. Uh, we spoke, he was one of my first, or one of my first um, interviews um, several months ago. And uh, I'm so excited to have Dr. Phelps back. Dr. Phelps, welcome
0: back. Ah, hello, Darren. How are you doing?
1: Thank you for taking the time today. And um, just to kind of recap, uh, Dr. Phelps is an expert. He's a practicing dentist. He's an expert in applying Robert Cialdini's influence principles. He was personally trained by Dr. Cialdini, and he's one of the three trainers in the entire world who is certified by Dr. Cialdini and his organization. To train others on the principles of influence. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about Dr. Cialdini and and, and how you got certified? Just to kind of um, give some intro, Doctor?
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, it was funny. When I first heard Dr. Cialdini speak, it was at a point in my own career where, you know, I had built four successful practices, kind of 10 times the revenue of my business over a seven year period. Uh, but was looking for a change and kind of changing my own mindset from a, a growth for growth sake mindset to a maximized capacity mindset. And so, you know, I would sold two of my best, uh, highest producing least debt practices, took over two of my highest debt least producing practices. So obviously they needed some work and it was powerful motivation to, to dive into the problems that I was kind of ignoring when you get to a certain size uh, to solve them. And that was right around the time I'd heard Dr. Cialdini speak for the first time and do a keynote, talk about his six principles. And there was one in particular that really spoke to me as to the root cause behind the majority of the problems of my dental practice. And so when I realized that he was the expert that he was, I, I knew I had to go to the source and learn from him directly. Uh, So immediately went, I knew he did one workshop a year out at the hottest time of the year in Phoenix, Arizona, in the middle of July when it was like 120 degrees. And uh, I think that's part of the test, right? They want to see who's crazy enough to go to Phoenix in July. And uh, so I went to his workshop and really dived into the science behind what makes these things tick, how to identify when they're present, and, and how to tap into them for the betterment of you and the person you're dealing with. And then I discovered at that workshop talking with their chief trainer that they had a certification process and you know how thousands of people apply every year and every so often they'll take one or two uh, under their wing, so to speak, to be certified. Uh, So I knew just, I just really felt passionate about these things and could see the power of them in in everyday life. And I thought this is something, it really, really spoke to me. I wanted to do this. Uh, So I spent the next year training with them and then had to, as my final little test, if you will, had to go back and give part of the two-day presentation I give now uh, that Dr. Cialdini helped create. Uh, (laughs) I had to give it back to him. And and so imagine, like, if you're singing karaoke, except you're singing karaoke back to the original artist, and you're getting graded on how well you sang their song. (laughs) So that kind of summed up my last hurdle or test and certification. Uh, But Fortunately, uh, he liked what I I gave and how I presented, and uh, here I am today.
1: All right. I think a lot of people have heard of uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini, but just to kind of get going, um, can you kind of uh, talk about two things? One is uh, what is persuasion? And then the six principles, just kind of list them and give a high level overview.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, Dr. Cialdini's first book, Influence the Science in Practice, was all about uh, the six principles of influence and persuasion. And Basically what he did was something that was kind of unique and that he went, instead of being a true researcher, just staying in the lab and doing experiments, he actually went into the field and pretended to be uh, looking for a job. And he went through every type of sales training in every different kind of level you can think of in industry, looking for patterns, looking to see what united all of these sales trainings. What did these people do or what were they teaching to try to get us to say yes to their requests uh, to, for sales or whatnot. So from everything from door-to-door sales to vacuum cleaners to uh, sold new cars, used cars, high-end ad agencies. He interviewed cult church leaders to see how they influence people. And he looked for patterns. And, and six key things kept standing out to him. And that's what he decided to go back and do his research on to identify and prove that these six things are universal and exist and just what, how powerful they are were really what makes them tick. And that was the basis of it that that, um, influenced the science and practice book. And it's all about persuasion. Persuasion is all about things you're doing in that moment directly with that person. Again, not stuff we're making up, not stuff we're trying to trick people with, but stuff that are naturally present in the situation that we recognize that they're present and we're just tapping into their power for the betterment of us and the person on the other side for both parties. So it's a win-win for both sides. And the principles are reciprocity where if you give someone a gift of value, right? We've, society's kind of taught us, we have a need to, to give back. If someone does a favor for you, uh, you're gonna feel the need to do a favor for them down the road. If somebody gives you a nice present of some reason, you're gonna feel the need to reciprocate and give what? A thank you note or maybe a present on their birthday, what have you. So that's really what reciprocity is about. Not only gifts of value that are tangible, like things you can put in your hand, but also intangible gifts like favors and those kind of things, things you might not think of that are gifts. Um, but understanding when that gift is given, that there is a moment of influence that's created, that if we were to turn around and ask for something in that moment, we're likely to get a yes for our request. Secondly, we've got the liking principle, which is pretty straightforward. I mean, people like to do business with people they like. I mean, who doesn't like to do business with their friends, uh, especially when it's in your best interest to do business with your friends? But it gets really interesting when, even when it's not in your best interest to do business with your friend, we still want to say yes to our friends. And anyone whose spouse or themselves has been to a uh, like a Tupperware party or a Pampered Chef party or Rodan and Fields, you know, some party where a friend of yours has invited you to this gathering. And they've put on a kind of a wine and cheese promotional thing and showing you various products from, from that company. And you kind of feel indebted to buy something because it's your friend asking and who invited you. That's kind of the liking principle. Those, those business models were kind of built on that. Leveraging that relationship because that's really what it's all about. Uh, you got consensus or social proof. From an online advertising standpoint, this is probably the most influential principle today because of the social media aspect of things. And how we're always online and looking and searching to see what others are doing. And that's basically what consensus is. And many times when we don't know what we should do, we look to the evidence of what others around us are doing to show us what we should do. Because if all these people are doing it, okay, maybe we'll be safe doing it as well. That's social proof. Uh, or consensus is the other word for it. The authority principle makes sense, right? We, we Many times we look to credible experts, trustworthy experts, to tell us what we should do. You know, we don't have time to be an expert. And the story I like to tell is, you know, I know nothing about plumbing. You know, there was a time when I did think I could fix a toilet. And I was in uh, a buddy of mine in college and his, his toilet was running. And I thought I could fix it for him. And it might have been the couple of beers I had in me, but uh, and why I had that confidence. But, you know, I took the top of the toilet off and kind of picked up the little balloon inside the toilet so it stopped running inside the thing trying to figure out is it the chain is it the little valve in there is leaking and lo and behold without me realizing why water comes shooting out of the toilet on both sides for, <laughs> I still to this day don't know why and in 30 seconds I had about six inches of water on the floor <laughs> and I realized right then and there that I was not going to be a plumber <laughs> and that is not in my expertise or wheelhouse uh, so if a plumber comes to my house and tells me I need a new toilet okay You're the expert. I guess I need a new toilet, right? So many times we need that shortcut. We need experts, incredible experts to tell us what we should do because we don't have time to be that expert. Consistency is the fifth principle. And this is the one that's probably the root cause for the majority of problems in our dental practice. And consistency is all about commitments. So I want you to think commitments. And the idea is if you get a real commitment out of somebody, one that's, uh, you know, that everybody knows about when they had a choice in the matter of making and something that kind of, kind of comes out of their mouth, they write down or they put money in, kind of put skin in the game. Uh, that's really getting more of a commitment out of someone. If you do that, okay, there's a lot of external and internal pressure on them to stay consistent and follow through and do what they said they were going to do. And so the idea is think of the opposite. What do you, we call people who are inconsistent? who don't do what they said they were going to do. Can you think of any nice words to describe those kind of people? No, no. <laughs> no. They're all they're all extremely negative, right? And nobody wants to be perceived that way. That's why there's a lot of external and internal pressure. The problem we found in dentistry, and this is what I realized in my own practices, was we don't really understand how to get real commitments out of people. And therefore, they're not doing the behavior they said they were going to do. And why would we expect them to? Because we ultimately didn't get a commitment for them. So no wonder they didn't show up for their appointment. They didn't really get a commitment or give us a commitment that they would. No wonder they didn't schedule the next treatment or refer a friend or give us that review. They really didn't commit to doing that. So of course, people don't do what they don't commit to. Uh, So we can turn around and get better commitments. Suddenly, you're gonna see a huge change in the behavior and a lot of the problems going on in our dental practice. That's what I experienced. Uh, and then, of course, last but not least is scarcity. Uh, scarcity is all about resources. You know, When resources are dwindling or running out, suddenly we want it more. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Twinkie, right? Little Hostess Twinkie cake. Yeah. I mean, those things were pretty popular when I was growing up. And uh, when Hostess announced that the Twinkie was going bye bye and you couldn't get it anymore, suddenly Twinkie started selling on eBay for four or five, six hundred bucks <laughs> for these things that were pennies before right? And so the idea with scarcity is we don't want it until we can't get it. But then when we find out we can get it, we want it more and we'll pay more to get it for no other reason that I can't get it anymore. Okay. That's kind of the influence that scarcity can have on us as well. So that's the six principles. It's all about things going on in that moment with your dealing and interacting with a person. Uh, Dr. Cialdini's latest book, Presuasion. It's kind of another interesting take on the matter. It's all about actions, things that happen on the front end that a person is exposed to before they get to your influence moment. So before they get to the persuasion moment where you're interacting directly. So the persuasive techniques are all about kind of priming the pump for a yes before we even get to the opportunity to influence them and ask for a yes as well.
1: I love this. Um, let's just jump in one by one and spend a bit of time. I, I'm a layman. I'm nowhere like you, doctor. I don't know enough as, as as well as you do. So, but let me give you my take on a couple of things and uh, we'll jump in. So um, reciprocity. So uh, we kind of uh, found a way to use it. So we have this tool called growmyreviews.com. And uh, anytime somebody is appreciating anybody in the office, right? The, the dentist, the hygienist, the front desk person, At that moment, um, we say something like, I really appreciate your comment. This means a lot to me. And then that means we are creating a moment using reciprocity. And then we say something like, do you mind if I send you a quick text? Can you take two minutes to write a review? Then we are using commitment to get them to commit. And then you taught me this last time when I interviewed you where you said sometimes getting multiple commitments is a good idea. So then we go a step further and saying, can I, can I please have your cell phone number by giving the cell phone number, they're making a second commitment. And then what happens is the text goes out in the moment and we are finding, uh, you know, they are getting clients, doctors are getting four times more results because of it. And, uh, the doctors who were struggling trying to get reviews on Google and Yelp and Yahoo and so forth are getting it so easily. Now it's like nothing for them. And, uh, there's no manipulation here. These are happy patients, real patients. You know, we're just asking them at the right moment, the right way. Uh, can you critique this? Can we do things better? W- kind of from a science standpoint, why is it working or what, you know, just give your take on it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on the two biggest principles at play here, reciprocity and consistency about the commitments. But the key is, and this is why what you're doing is genius: is you're recognizing when a gift has been given. And so there are so many influence opportunities that we're exposed to that because you're not trained in them, you just don't know, right? You're not trained on what to, to recognize that this thing is present. So when, when someone like a patient had, get, tells you something positive about their experience, when they give you any kind of compliment or legitimately say thank you to you, you know, your ears should be burning because when they tell you thank you, that means you've given them a gift of value, whether you realize it or not. Okay, so somebody gets up and says, wow, I can't believe we're the appointments done already. This was a great visit today. That's a great compliment. They're thanking you for that experience because probably they've had a lot of bad experiences in the past. So to them, this is a real gift. That is the perfect opportunity. As we said, now that you recognize the gift's been given, you then turn around and asking for them to do that review is huge. You're tapping right into that moment of influence by doing so. And there's so many opportunities during the day that people normally would just let fly by them without even recognizing that it is a moment of opportunity there. So that's part of it. And then getting those commitments and getting them to tell you they'll do this and, and fill out this review and then taking it a step further and actually getting their cell phone number are two big steps in getting an active commitment and getting people to do what they said they were going to do.
1: The third thing we noticed, doctor, is um, the text is going in the moment because what happened before is they would all say, yes, for sure, I'll write a review when I get home. But when they get home, that moment is not there. So out of 20 people who say, yes, I'll write a review when I get home, only two actually follow through. Now, when they get the text right in the moment, it's almost like they just do it. You know, it's almost like becomes like a no brainer.
0: Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And what that is tapping into is, you know, and kind of the basis of what drives these principles, why they're so powerful and have such an effect on people's decision making is because the brain is so overwhelmed with data and stimulus. Uh, It's got to it's got to interact and and look at too many things, especially with our phones being 24 seven in our hands. And so our, our brain being so overloaded with data and sensory information is looking for shortcuts. It's looking for ways to sift through it all to find what's most important. And, it, and it's this search in this never ending search that drives our brains crazy. And, and it's looking for two criteria because it's got a thousand other things it's got to search for a thousand other tasks it's got to do. So it's looking for something that's going to be a good decision or to help it make a good decision. And then it's got to be a gone decision. Meaning it's not, we're not going to have to worry about this or it's not going to come around to bite us in the butt later on. You know, I want something I can deal with this now and scratch it off my list and I'm done with it. Cause I got a thousand other things to do. And it's exactly as you said, it's not that people don't want to fall through with their commitments that they made, but the longer time goes between the time they said they would do it and the opportunity to do it, it's not convenient anymore. Life gets in the way. So it gets diluted because of that. So doing this in that moment helps the brain satisfy its search it can scratch it off its list and get onto the thousand other things it's got to. It's got to do. So hitting that convenience in that moment is key.
1: Yeah, you you you're you're hitting a really good point. So one of the other things we are noticing is um, I'm a typical mom or a dad, right? I'm busy. I'm multitasking throughout the day, and I get super excited about my dentist. But at this moment, I cannot make a phone call. So one of the tiny things we did is we enabled a text feature on the mobile website. So I can't make a phone call. I press the text button, I send a text. So one of the things I think it's becoming more and more true in this world of, you know, multitasking and being distracted, anything we can do to kind of make them take advantage of the moment seems to be a huge plus as opposed to, well, now I have to call you when I actually can talk to you. You know, now I could text you while I'm talking to somebody else.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it goes back to one of my fundamental principles with people and their mindsets. We have to let people communicate with us in the way they want to communicate with us, not the way we force them to communicate with us. You know, we think and force people to pick up the phone and call us. But you know what? They would much rather prefer to call, to chat with us, to text with us, uh, to email us, right? To do anything but pick up the phone sometimes, Um, So allowing them multiple ways to communicate that way and get it done so they can, again, multitask and get more things off their plate means more people will respond and follow through and do um, what we're asking to do.
1: Let's talk about the biggest principle, right? Which you talked about in dentistry, commitment and consistency. Can you give us Mm -hmm. some things that pitfalls that happen because of uh, the doctor or the office doesn't or the team members don't really read the consistency? I know we kind of touched on it the last time we talked, but I really want to dig deep and get into this. You know, give me lots of different examples of, let's start with, you know, top three examples.
0: Yeah, well, you know, let's go to the problems in the dental practice. You know, what what problems do we have? Well, a lot of us have problems with people showing up for the appointment, right? (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't it be nice if people did what they said they were going to do and show up? Uh, Well, one of the reasons is, like I said, because we're not getting that real commitment. And so from a simple standpoint, when people are trying to make their appointment, uh, if we're just giving them options one at a time, they're not really committing to it because they didn't really have a choice. And that's the key. They need a voluntary choice to make that commitment. So if you say, well, how about Friday at two? And they say, well, no, I can't do that. All right. Wednesday at four. Nope. Can't do that. Monday at eight. Oh, okay. I guess I could do that. Right. So eventually, you know, going back to reciprocity, Uh, one of the key principles is that people hate to say no to you. And secondly, people hate to say no to you multiple times in the same moment. So truthfully, if you keep asking them something after a no, eventually you're going to get a yes to something. (laughs) And that's what's happening when we make appointments. We keep throwing things out, options one at a time, and get no, 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 until finally they say yes to the appointment. The problem is they didn't really commit to that because they didn't have a choice in the matter. Right? So just doing something simple as giving them two choices every time you give them options is key. So you could say, you know, morning or afternoon, this week or next week, two o'clock or four o'clock, this Wednesday or next Wednesday. I mean, whatever it is, you can funnel them down your, to your available appointment times, but you're giving them choices along the way. Uh, and every time they make a choice, they're making more and more and more of a commitment to show up and be there. Uh, just asking a simple question like, great, we got you down. I tell you what, will you please call us if you need to cancel your schedule your appointment? And am waiting for them to say yes. Okay, great. I'll let everybody up here know you're going to call us if you need to cancel your appointment. We're looking forward to seeing you. Because in my practice, as I mentioned before, you know, I don't care if somebody can't be there. I just want you to call me and let me know. You know, just don't no show on me. That's like the worst thing you can do because at least my team has some systems on how to fill that empty chair if it's available. Uh, But by getting them and asking them, will you please call us instead of just saying, please call us if you need to cancel or reschedule. Now we're getting more of a commitment for them to do what they said they were going to do show up for their appointment or at least call us if they can't make it. Uh, So that's from a no show standpoint, you know Uh, what about uh, referrals? As you said, You know, we can ask for referrals by, by asking people, will you please refer? Great. And then try to get a name out of somebody because if they'll give us a name, they're making more of a commitment to refer that person. And at the same time, if you give that person a gift of value to pass on to the potential new patient on your behalf, now you're getting them committed to passing on this gift for you. So kind of what we do is, do you know anybody looking for a good dentist? Yeah. Great. Who? Oh, well, my sister, Sally Jones. Awesome. Tell your sister we'd love to meet her. Would you do me a favor? Here's a little gift bag from us to her. Would you mind passing this on and tell her we'd love to meet her? And the patient responds, yes. Well, guess what? They've now made a commitment to refer. And every time they come home from work or get to their house and that gift bag you gave them is sitting on their kitchen counter. Guess what's going to happen? They're going to be riddled with guilt. The majority of people. Right? And they're going to stare at that thing and go, oh, crap, I did say I passed that thing on. All right, let me call my sister and go see her so I can pass this thing on. Right? So you're going to get people to make more referrals as a result by passing on this gift bag. So we can use that to get more referrals out of people as well. Um, you can use it for case acceptance. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we can use the commitment principle to solve the problems in our practice.
1: Right. So let's dissect the gift uh, example. That's a brilliant idea. So, um, can you give me some? Um, uh, what kind of give give back? And 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 um, I know you have to ask again when they are being grateful or appreciative, right? When they say thank you, that's when you ask them. Hey, thank you very much. But you know, do you know anybody who who we could help? Oh yeah, I think my yeah, sister. Yeah. Some. Go ahead, doctor.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, well, you know, my strategy is first, you know, we're going to give gifts of value. Uh, we have gift cards we give, but we, and we also look to people who have, we've given that gift of service who thank us for it as well as opportunities. Uh, the reciprocity starts the process for sure, one way or the other. But what we're targeting at that point is, what are we asking for? Right, we want to be strategic about this because we're not going to ask everybody everything. So usually, what I'll do is if the person has doctor treatment to be scheduled and a hygiene recall to be scheduled, those are the two things I'm going to ask for if I'm given a gift, either a tangible gift or an intangible gift. Uh, if there's no doctor treatment to be done, then it's a hygiene recall appointment and maybe possibly a referral, especially if it's an existing patient and we've had some kind of relationship as well. So that's part of the question there is who are we going to ask in the situation type? So that's usually my strategy for that. Once we decide to ask, you know, and pass on the gift bag, it's just simple little stuff like uh, the entitlement gift, you know, in the back in the day, the giving a patient a toothbrush and floss and toothpaste was actually a gift from us and it actually had a lot of value. That's why we started doing it as an industry. The problem is when you kept giving that thing over and over again, it stopped becoming a gift because it wasn't unexpected anymore. Part mm-hmm. of it being a gift is unexpected. So when it's expected, guess what it turns into? It's not a gift. It's a entitlement. Right. <laughs> so now people expect it, right? And they get pissed off if you don't have that bag. So what I tried to do was give a gift that's similar, giving them something they're going to expect. So I put in there the toothbrush, the floss, the toothpaste, some of our business cards, maybe a couple of pins with your branded logo and website on and number on there. But then I throw in an unexpected gift, which is the key. So I know they're gonna expect this stuff, but they're not expecting this. And so I take two of my most popular gift cards and put that in there. And one is a gift card to um, Target or Starbucks, or you know I've, I've arranged all of these deals with local restaurants. I don't know if we talked about my gift card program last time, but we can always get into that. But uh, so I'll, well, I'll put in one of my uh, gift cards I've arranged with local businesses. Uh, and at the same time, I've created a gift card to my own practice. Please enjoy $500 off $1,000 or more in treatment to be used at my location. And the idea was that I'm getting a lot of people who are getting referred or using that gift card who need 4000 5000 $10,000 worth of treatment. They haven't been in a long time and that gift card is motivating them to come in. Uh, if they, instead of doing one crown, it's motivating to get the three crowns they need at the same time. So I wanted to throw in a popular gift card and then one, a gift card to my own office to really surprise them and go, Oh, wow. I've never had a dentist give me a gift like this who I've never met before. Huh? Maybe my sister was right. Maybe they do do something different there and maybe I'll try them out.
1: That's amazing. So you're saying uh, by giving them $500 of a thousand dollars or more, uh, Procedure, you are giving them something that nobody else is giving. So it no longer becomes an entitlement. It becomes a true gift. So the key is when, if everybody else is doing something, you shouldn't do what everybody else is doing. You need to do something different.
0: Correct. Uh, I like to say when others zig, you need to zag. <laughs> right. Uh,
1: but you still included the things they were expecting, right? The toothbrush and the paste and so forth. Uh, Why did you do that? Is that necessary or is that just, just because?
0: Well, because I wanted it to make the other gift I threw in there more unexpected in contrast, you know, um, just to ramp it up. I wanted them to go, Oh yeah, here's the toothbrush, the floss. Yeah. I expected that. Oh, Whoa. What's this gift cards, you know, versus just opening a bag and go, Oh, some gift cards. They really didn't have anything to compare it to, you know, Uh, So for me, it was more from adding the the idea, this idea of contrast, which, you know, Dr. Cialdini would go back and rewrite his original book. I think he would agree it's it should have been the seventh principle of influence, uh, this contrast phenomenon. Uh, But it just amplifies the effect of the principle by using it.
1: Right. I think in his book, he talks about this Toronto consultant who would start off, um, you know, him talking about price by, oh, you know, I cannot charge you a million dollars for this. And then they would all say, yes, of course you can. And then he would say, it's only 75000 So he Perfect. said, after he started using that principle, nobody objected to the price. Before he started using that, oh, I cannot charge you a million dollars, everybody was trying to nickel and dime me on price.
0: That's it. Because the idea is there's danger... When, when you throw in a number at somebody and giving them your price, whether it's on the telephone and they're asking how much is your crown or whether they're sitting in your, your chair asking how much is this treatment, okay, whatever number you throw at them, people are going to compare it to something in their mind. The danger comes when we don't control what they compare it to because most of the time people are going to compare what they need to what they want and what do people spend money on, what they need or what they want. What, what they want, right? Right. right. Exactly. So what our goal with these influence principles is to change their mindset, reframe their perspective using this contrast to make their dental need now a want. They want to do it. And so by doing so, if you just throw out, say, my crown's $1,200, and you let them compare that to something, they're going to say, well, geez, my, my house payment isn't 1200 bucks, My car payment isn't 1200 bucks. I can't afford that. And right. so they've mentally shut you down in five seconds, and it doesn't matter what you say after that, they're not paying attention. They've already said no, and you don't have any idea. Versus if, you're, if you control what they compare it to by starting with something else higher first, now you got a shot for them to actually listen to what you have to say. So kind of what I shoot for is I, I look for what are the consequences, the ethical consequences, if they're there, of them not moving forward? What are they going to be missing out on? by not saying yes to me today, and what's it gonna cost them for waiting if something happens down the road to get back to where they are today? Uh, So, and usually that way I can anchor them to a higher fee or a higher rate if they wait, versus, I tell you what, if we do it today, it's only this instead. And in contrast, it's a a much lower amount. And so the idea being that, of course, now they have a shot in contrast. Well, this sounds a whole lot better. And the truth of the matter is, if people really knew what we knew, that it was going to cost them more time, effort, pain, and money by waiting and getting it done later than doing it today, that's how we reframe it and make that need, now a want. Because they want to avoid that, (laughs) that extra expense and pain.
1: Right, right. Makes sense. You're converting a need into a want by giving them that, you know incentive which is the opposite of pain to do something it's,
0: it's yeah we're reframing their perspective that's all it is and it's all about perspective
1: right right that's amazing um let's jump into something else so um liking right how do you get people to like you and and uh, uh you and i are both students of dan and he asks the questions you know he called it the dan sullivan question which is if you and I are talking in three years, what should happen to dot, dot, dot for you to be happy with me. Right. So by mm-hmm. focusing the attention on the dreams of the customer, now you don't have to sell them things. You just help them achieve their dreams. So all humans, I mean, um, you know, um, the famous book, uh, how to win friends and influence people talks about how to get people to like you. And the first thing he says is be interested in them. Right. So, yeah. What are some of the top ways to get people to like you? One is being interested in them. One is talking about their dreams. I, I want your thoughts because I'm, you have been doing this a lot longer than I have with dentists, in dentistry.
0: Yeah, well, I, what you're saying there is basically that people like to do business with those who like them and show that or tell them that, that they like them. So we love flattery. We love praise. We love people to be interested in us. OK, that shows us that they like us and therefore we like to do business with people who like us, you know, that's basically what that's tapping into. So anytime we have if I've got some opportunity to provide genuine praise, flattery or interest in something that someone else is interested in, that's an easy way we can start building that relationship and get them to like us as a result. Another way you can do it is that people like to do business with those who are like them. So people with similar interests and backgrounds, okay? Common things you have in common. Um, You know, I had a patient one time that, and even the smallest of similarities can have a lot of influence. That's why it's important to find. Before I get down to the business of dentistry, I try to find at least one thing I have in common with that person. Some common ground, if you will. Even if it's as simple as, hey, your name is Chris. My name is Chris. We're Chris's. (laughs) Right. It works uh you know i had a lady one time and the only thing we shared in common was our birthdays and we actually had the same birthday so on the surface it looked like that we had nothing in common with each other and i really didn't know what i was even going to talk to her about but i noticed from her medical history that we had the same birthday same year and everything and that's how i started the conversation i said hey i'm dr phelps let me ask you something were you born october 14th 1976 and she goes well yeah I was like, well, great. So was I. We're birthday buddies. <laughs> same day, same year. You know? And we spent the next 20 minutes talking about our birthdays. And, you know, guess who left my office that day scheduled for her $12,000 treatment plan? My birthday buddy. Right. Uh, you know, was that the only reason? Probably not. But do you think it had a big factor and an influence? Definitely.
1: Right. Right. So we tend to do business with those who are like us, who we like.
0: And um, um, yes, like us and tell us.
1: Right. And I think when you listen to them and their needs and you make them feel important, that's a great way to get somebody to like you. Even if, you know, like, like, even if let's say you made a mistake, but if you show them that you care, show them that they're important to you, they like you. Definitely. Yeah. These are all coming back to, you know, the basic human needs. Like, you know, we all want significance. We all want to feel important. So um interesting. Um one of the th- things um the next I think I want to talk about is authority and I want to share my thought. But when we created this, I had no I've never I've not heard of Robert Cialdini. This is back in you know several years ago, called Doctor's Choice Awards, where doctors rate other doctors. So the idea is that doctors are authority figures, meaning they went to medical school, they spent years and years getting trained. Now, when they say something about you, uh, that carries a lot more weight than somebody saying, you know, he's a nice guy, he shows up on time, he smiles at me. Um, So we started creating doctor's choice and then we started helping doctors get reviews on doctor's choice. And then what they do is they take those reviews and share it on social media. So for example you would thank somebody saying, hey, thank you for this review. Uh, you know, I really appreciate it, Dr. Smith. Now, of course, you're thanking him. Now you are a nice guy, so they like you for that. And also indirectly, they're reading what Dr. Smith said. And they're like, wow, you know, that's amazing. I didn't know that you have been doing this for 25 years. I didn't know that you teach other doctors. So now they they think of you as an authority. Another thing, tool we created was doctorandme.tv. So... We feature our doctors, you know, in the form of interviews where um, they share their knowledge. So, of course, people like them because they see the picture, the video, etc. But at the same time, they are now featured by somebody else, Doctor TV. So now people see them as an authority. This is why people write books, right? A lot of people write books full well, knowing that nobody's going to read that full book. But by thinking of you as somebody who wrote a book, think of you as an authority i want you to talk about authority and and these two ideas we just discussed
0: yeah well authority What you're basically mentioning is there's all kinds of little triggers of authority uh little cues or signs that that indicate to us that someone's an expert okay so that's part of it you know and just like you said the doctor in me tv is a great example of that because it looks like someone in the media interviewing you right and so you must be important because only important people get interviewed. <laughs> right, right. And, so, and that's the mindset of what people think. So when they see that, they think, oh, wow, it's important enough to get interviewed. So you must be an expert. And, and it, end of thought, it's as simple as that. Um, and so there are all these little, these little triggers of authority. Oh, look at, uh, you know, doctor itself, like you said, implies some authority because of our schooling, training, and all the things that have to go into getting that title. Um, so titles, your education, you know, how long you've been working, you know, I've been in practice for 30 years. Oh, wow. Well, you must know a few things if you've been working for 30 years. Right. And the doctor's choice, especially because the second piece of the puzzle with authority is trust. And that's a big one. Even the most credible expert, I don't care how smart they are, is worthless if nobody trusts them. So right. Look at Bernie Madoff. I mean, the guy was a financial genius, but, because of that Ponzi scheme and how many people he screwed over, no one will ever trust him with their money again. <laughs> right. right. So what good as an expert? It's no good. So you got to have the trust factor, too. So when we get these testimonials and reviews from patients that they speak because they're not in our field, they're, they're not at our education level. They can't really speak to our expertise, but they can speak to our trustworthy level. When we get reviews from other doctors and other dentists and other people in our field, in the medical field in general, well, that's hitting both sides. Somebody that can promote our expertise and our trust. So it really hits, gets the authority principle firing on all cylinders. Okay. And has a lot of influence power. You know, it's the difference between like in my advertisements, I had several dentists uh, that left me great testimonials and said, if they had family in in my area where I lived, they would choose no other dentist to send their family to than me. So, you know, you see that enough times. And I was like, great, that is awesome information I can use and share with others. That was genuine. People left those kind of comments for me. So I said, okay, great. You'll see that in my advertisements. I've got four patient testimonials. But at the same time, before that, I've got those four doctor testimonials. And my headline in my ad or my message is, choose the dental office, other dentists, would choose for their dental care right think about that for a second how powerful is that to a potential patient reading your ad or looking online at your website or whatever going geez my last dentist didn't have any dentist say anything nice about him much less they'd send family to him
1: huh. right maybe
0: obviously it's going, you know
1: absolutely i think you're hitting on a great point if if the experts think you are the expert you must be the expert if the people in the know exactly. want you, then you, it's like you know, insiders, right? If insiders want you, then you must be good, right? That's because right, of course, insiders yeah, are pick that's, the worst well, person, right? They know they know all the best because they are part of the club, so they know who's good, and who's that's not. It.
0: That's it. You know, I, I my team brings up the fact that uh, you know, I have something called the Phelps Institute that I run for dental implant training and other coaching things and part of my team is telling uh, the patients if they need dental implants, oh, well, I'm gonna get Dr. Phelps in here. Uh, he has an institute here at the practice. He teaches other dentists. They fly in from all over the country or all over the world uh, for his training and mentorship. Uh, oh, good, here's Dr. Phelps now. And, and they're promoting and building my authority for me. So when I go in and talk about an implant, I don't have to convince them that I'm the best person to do their implant. Right. We can get down to the business of, what is this implant? And what are the pros and cons? And let's figure out how we can can make this work to fit this thing into your budget.
1: Right. So they're already sold because they see you as the authority. So like you said, like yep. being the person who teaches other doctors, you know, with the Phelps Institute, in their mind, you are creating uh, this authority. So like, it's almost like they have decided on you because you are the authority. Now the question is, how do we make it happen? So the conversation shifts from That's you it. trying to, convince them that you are right for them to them trying to find a way to have you, the expert who helps other dentists, help them as well. That's brilliant.
0: Yeah, I think think we spend too much time and wasted time trying to convince the patient why we are the expert or the best place for them to get their care. And the problem is because when we try to sell ourselves as the expert, it comes off as conceited or egotistical or it's usually not perceived in a good light. But when we have other people, other things, other items, awards, certificates, whatever, that present your authority for you instead, suddenly that's a whole different game. And we don't have to waste that time trying to sell them on why we are the authority and why we are those experts. So we can spend more time on getting to the real issues at hand.
1: Right. Like when you do a video and you put it on your website, now it's like self promotion. When somebody else interviews you and put it on your website, now it's like, wow, somebody else thinks you are the expert. It's totally different mindset of the patient. Correct. Nobody likes self-promotion. Nobody like if you were to go and say, well, I I started the Phillips Institute, and you spend ten minutes talking about it, they won't believe you. But if other people talk about that, now they believe you.
0: That's it. Let's
1: get, get into, um, we talked about reciprocity, we talked about commitment and consistency. Um, I, I want to talk about social media. I know we all work with social media. So the way we use it, and I would like your feedback on it. So anytime a doctor or a fan of your practice says something nice, we put it into a graphic and we thank them publicly on social media. So in some sense, we are getting people to like us because we are thanking them. In some sense, we are letting them read or, or watch what these, you know, the patients or doctors have to say about us. So we are building authority slash social proof. Um, now, one of the things we are noticing is um, people like to p- be part of celebration. So when somebody wins an award, they, everybody wants to talk about it, right? When somebody does something or let's say when somebody says something nice about somebody, everybody else wants to comment on it and like, Oh yeah, I agree. You know, Dr. Phelps is amazing. He's so caring. So we we find that not only does it help with the, 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 the person, but also especially on social media, the way Facebook works where it shows things to the friends and so forth. Now it creates this ripple effect where you have 20 likes and those friends. So every one of those 20 likes, you know, people who liked you, also have 300 friends so now 6,000 people are seeing it. I'm just curious, how do you apply these principles in social media? Any comments?
0: Uh, well, it goes back to kind of what you said. The, the more of these you can show, the better. So getting you know, a couple of these are great as it, as it builds authority, uh, but the more of these you can get together and lump together, the better. Uh, so an example would be, let's say on your, your Facebook page, Um, you know, if you had one testimonial video on there, that's great. But if you had five testimonial videos in a row grouped together, that's going to have more power. That's going to start showing evidence of what others and many others are doing because of that. Uh, and many times people will look at that and go, well, geez, they got five testimonial videos right there. And you can see each little video you can click on. Most of the time, just seeing that there's five of them is enough for the person in that moment to decide, eh, they must be good. And they won't even have to or feel the need to want to click on them, <laughs> to have influence on them. Uh, it's almost like when you're, when you're posting these things and you're getting other people to respond, yeah, they're great, or he's, you know, I've had a great experience with them, I agree with that comment. Uh, once you've kind of passed the magic number, it's like, what's the tipping point where it really starts building consensus information? And it's really around four or five comments is really the key. Uh, if you are at a baseball game and you want to, or a football game and you want to start the wave, you know what the wave is? you seen this at pro sports, pro sporting events or college sporting events? Everybody kind of stands up and
1: yeah.
0: in the air and it kind of goes around the whole stadium. Right. You ever wonder how that gets started? <laughs> well, it's, it's consensus information. Once you get four or five people to start it, that influences their behavior as a group, influences four or five more, which influences 10 or 20 more. And the next thing you know, it's off and running. So that's typically how these things work. It's about grouping them and showing multiple examples at the same space in your viewpoint. uh, What you're looking at uh, builds that consensus information.
1: Right, right. We didn't talk about scarcity. Can you use scarcity in a dental practice?
0: Oh, you can use scarcity a lot. Uh, It's definitely one of the most powerful principles to motivate action today. Uh, go back to what I mentioned earlier using that contrast and what I anchor people to, you know, the consequences of not moving or, yeah, not moving forward with the treatment that we talked about today. Basically what I'm doing is invoking scarcity. I'm tapping into what they stand to lose by not moving my direction. Okay. And remember people don't want it until they they can't have it or they're about to lose it. Then suddenly they start paying attention to it. Uh, So instead of focusing on all the benefits of getting our treatment done, we're going to first talk about the consequences of not getting the treatment done. Right. And if there are ethical consequences in time, money, pain, number of visits, costs, getting that out up front is a powerful motivator for people act today and to make it a priority in their life to make it that want. Right. Uh, It's also also about, Oh, yeah. Go ahead, doctor. I'll say it's also about scarcity is about unique things, scarce resources, things that there's not a lot of. So if there's some certain things about your practice that make you the scarce resource, uh, we need to let people know that. And so one of the things is I know a lot of dentists that take off at the end of the year and take vacations and the office is closed, but they never tell anyone. And I'm telling them this is fantastic information. You need to share with your patients Early enough, though, that they can do something about it. So just as simple of, you know, three weeks before you're going to be off, send out a mass email to say, FYI, just want to let everyone know that at the practice that we're going to be closed the last week of the month. And you don't have to tell them why you're going to be closed, but just tell them you're going to be closed. Oh, and by the way, so we have limited appointments available until then. So if you need us, give us a call. And so what you're doing is you're saying you're the scarce resource. We've only got some appointments available, and then we're going to be gone for a whole week. So there's going to be people who have been sitting there who have had a diagnosis of a, that they needed a crown, but they've been putting it off because there was no sense of urgency, right? It didn't hurt right now. But they're going to read that and go, you know what? Knowing my luck, guess when my crown's going to well, – guess when my tooth's going to break? When they're on vacation. Well, I don't want that to happen. Okay, I guess I better go in now. And what you're going to find is if you back up and share the information that you're going to be closed early enough, you'll actually be slammed those three weeks before you take off and you'll probably produce enough as if you were open. (laughs) So it'll be like you didn't even take off. So you got a free vacation, which is fantastic. Um, So it's about, you know, you could be the scarce resource as well and just understanding when and what type of information you need to share with people.
1: Let me ask you this. I have um, several dentists who are, Holistic slash biological. Most of them are cash pay. And uh, uh, most of them, you know, uh, take a lot of time with each patient. So um, they tend to, like, you know, I have one dentist in particular I'm thinking of. He's booked up all the way to spring of next year. So people literally wait to see him till next April. But when they do see him, he spends a lot of time and uh, all of that good stuff. But when he makes recommendations, people accept it. I'm wondering... Is the fact that they waited six months to see him one of the reasons why they just don't question him and just accept treatment? I'm just wondering.
0: Definitely. Well, it's, and that hits two parts. It's the scarcity of the appointments available is influencing them, right? You don't want it until you can't get it. And then you right. want it more and you'll pay more to get it. And at the same time, it also kind of hits onto his authority because he's so busy. Look at all, and social proof. Look at all these people that are making appointments. I can't get in. Wow. Okay. This must really be a legit thing. He must be fantastic. So I guess it's worth the wait.
1: Right. Right. And he said very few people, like less than a percent, cancel. Uh, and then, um, and then um, when they do show up, again, like 97, 97% accept treatment. So that's interesting.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and you got to remember, this is a uh, the holistic field. That's a very niche patient. That's a very specific patient. Right. So they know there's already a scarcity of people who do that type of dentistry, number one. So right. they're already wanting more because of that. And they know that if they miss their appointment, they're not going to get back in. So their motivation is there to really get it done, which just amplifies the effect of the principles on top of that.
1: Right. And I guess it also goes back to consistency, right? Those people who believe in, you know, holistic medicine and so forth, they already are kind of already sold. And the fact that you are a holistic dentist, you know, you are like in the, you are in the, in the, in the in crowd, you are in the, you know, the, the limited pool of people they can even look at. So it goes back to commitment and consistency, and it goes back to social proof authority uh, so interesting, and then it taps into scarcity. So I guess all of these things combine creates that effect. Now I'm not saying every biological dentist is successful, but you know I think a lot of them, the ones who are very good at what they do, and then very good at you know marketing to create that demand, are very successful. Um, yeah,
0: so and that's really the key. It's the ones that are successful are the best at promoting the fact that they do that right. and that they're scarce. Right. Um, so. The others can can find them
1: right right absolutely um so we talked about a lot of interesting principles today doctor any final thoughts i want to also talk about the way your team answers the phone what service is that because i know you learned all of this and then your people will apply those principles when you answer the phone can you talk more about that a little bit
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I use these principles. Uh, I started a company called call tracker ROI and it's a marketing tracking company. So I like to, you know, I try to create an unbiased independent source to track both sides of the marketing coin. Are the ads bringing in enough uh, quality and quantity of calls with people who spend enough to justify the expense? Or is it my team not answering the telephone and not converting or, or both, you know, kind of what's your problem. And, when I started looking at my own team, you know, <laughs> when I first started tracking my own calls, you know, we probably, we only converted 24% of our calls into appointments. Uh, and so listening to thousands of calls and trying to hear the different barriers and mindsets that were going up was, was part of my challenge in trying to figure out what's going on. And I realized that many times that patients are putting up barriers to scheduling, but a lot of times our teams are putting up barriers to scheduling as well. So trying to create some influence language and strategies to get over both of these mindsets to solve the problem. And I was able to get my team's conversions up from 24% to averaging over 86% uh, within about three months. And they've they've stayed there for, you know, five plus years since. Uh, So, you know, I offer some phone training stuff as part of that call tracking service. And then I've used that for my, my scheduling service called Golden Goose Scheduling. I've trained all my agents on these same principles and, the, and how to get more commitments out of people on the phone to help make sure that when we schedule an appointment for a client, that person is going to show up.
1: Right. Right. Because um, yeah, once you master the principles, you can apply it in a way that uh, works. Right. So you don't need to kind of uh, wing it. Like a lot of people just, you know, think answering the phone is answering the phone, but You can apply psychology, you can apply a lot of these principles in a way that works.
0: Definitely. And what I love about them, these principles, is that they're universal, as I mentioned before. It doesn't matter what continent you're on, where you grew up, what your culture is, uh, what your religion is, who your parents were, these same principles apply no matter what. So it's kind of funny. We have a bunch of clients in Canada that we do scheduling for. And the big resistance I got from them from day one was, they just felt so certain that no, our patients in Canada, they want somebody from Canada to answer the telephone. (laughs) You know, they're going to hear you with the Southern accent or whatever, and they're going to know you're not from this country and they're not going to like that. It's going to hurt your conversions. And I said, well, I appreciate your opinion, but you're wrong, (laughs) but I'll take the Pepsi challenge with you all day long. Let's test it and find out. And if I'm wrong, uh, it won't cost you to use the service. And lo and behold, you know, four months into it, you know, with six different offices in Canada and we converted a hundred percent of the people we talked to into appointments, which basically tells you what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. matter, Okay. It's these principles that matter. It's the mindsets and these strategies. It's the universal things that matter. Understand that doesn't matter where you are. You can make an appointment.
1: Right. One last point I want to add to everybody. Like I know some people kind of, uh do unethical things but those people end up losing in the long term can you talk more about that because i i don't want people to think this is a tool to manipulate people right it's really not it's really you have to believe in doing the right thing and help people and you have to really believe in what you're doing you, because like I, I think the people who try to manipulate usually are discovered and then i think they ruin that relationship forever like for example um Um, I went to this uh, place with my daughter the other day and, uh, you know, the archery place with my wife and my daughter. And uh, at the end of it, the guy goes, well, uh, can you write a Google review for us and give us five stars? We'll give you $10 off. Uh, You know, that's bribery, right? That's unethical. So I just want you to talk about the ethical use of these principles, doctor.
0: Yeah. It's like most things, right? It's like the internet. It can be used for good or it can be used for bad. Right. Right and sometimes people have tried to use these things to manipulate or trick us, uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about how to use these in an ethical way, and, and we have set some objective rules to do that. The problem with ethics is, on the whole, is it's very subjective, meaning it's, it's up to you. That's why they call it your personal code of ethics. The problem is well, something you may find ethical or unethical may be different for the person standing next to you right now, okay? So how do we stay out of the gray area and stay on the ethical side of the line across the board? Well, we need to make sure our motives are pure from an ethical standpoint and objectively, and it's simple. Is it true? You know, we're not making this stuff up, right? Is it true? Was it natural to the situation? Again, we didn't stage it or contrive it. Uh, And is it, truthfully, a net win-win for both sides? Okay, meaning even though there's gonna be some cost to both sides doing business together, In the end, the benefit should outweigh those costs for both of us. And if that's the case in all three of those examples, then we can objectively be sure we're on the ethical side of the line and use these things. So when I do stuff like I use consensus information to tell people, hey, 96% of the patients in our practice choose to pay their bill at the time of service. We appreciate you doing the same. And that's posted when they check in and when they check out And I'm doing that to show them that the majority of the people here pay today. So we appreciate you doing the same, knowing that that's going to influence more in the minority who might not have wanted to pay today to pay today. (laughs) So I guess I get to send less bills, but to be ethical in that I had to get my data. It's truthful data. And it, it really started more in the 60 percentile range when I first started looking at it. And then I just kept tracking it and I watched it grow and it's been stuck at like 96% for, for a couple of years now. Um, right. But the key is to about it, make sure the date is true. You know?
1: Right. So number one rule is tell the truth. Don't make anything up. That's it. Right. First and foremost, as long as you're doing that more, more than likely you're fine. Definitely. And then, um, yeah, perfect doctor. I really appreciate it because, um, 'Cause I've seen some people kind of um, you know, kind of manipulate you and like they will, you know, say things just because it's almost kind of like what you want to hear, but then they don't really um, you know, follow through, if I may, like if they don't really do what they said. And I think eventually you find out and then you are like, Okay, you know, they're just trying to manipulate me and it's not gonna go anywhere. So fool me once, but fool me again. <laughs> And the, and once you yeah, have that yeah. black mark, then it's going to ruin your reputation, right? So it's very dangerous to go down that slippery slope.
0: Well, remember it this way, right? Uh, right? If you give someone a fantastic experience, if you're lucky, how many people will they tell? One, maybe two. Right. If you give them a bad experience in one way, shape, or form, or they feel manipulated, whatever, how many people do you think they're going to tell that to? Everybody. Everybody. Right. <laughs> right Right? and that's the risk and that's why we can't afford to risk to be unethical um because there's just too much at stake for our practices so
1: right right thank you very much dr phelps i really enjoyed talking to you today and i think uh, we got a lot of uh, knowledge and wisdom from this so i know uh, the listeners would love this too uh if they want to get to know about the phelps institute is there a website they can go to
0: yeah, thephelpsinstitute.com. Uh, you can check out for the influence stuff, uh, guide, G-U-I-D-E, them to yes, Guide them yes.com. I'm doing a workshop uh, in Charlotte, November 10th and 11th, and then I'll be up in uh, your neck of the woods up in Toronto uh, in December. So looking forward to that as well.
1: Perfect. And all that information is on the websites, right? It is. Perfect. We'll put all of the information on the call notes as well. So thank you very much, Dr. Phelps, for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate it. And thank you for all the listeners for taking the time to listen to this amazing discussion with Dr. Phelps around how to apply Dr. Childini's principles in a dental practice.